We've made it to the last soul of the semester. Yep, we're, uh, we're still continuing on in the Beatitudes. We'll actually wrap around at the beginning of next semester to finish them off. But we're still in Matthew 5. Uh, we're going to be in verse 9 tonight. So you can turn there if you have a Bible. I've also put the verse on the board. Like always, I'm going to read the first nine verses so we get kind of the full context of what's going on. Uh, does anybody remember what we talked about last time? What we talked about last week? Blessed are... Everybody got it? Yes, blessed are the pure in heart. Good, blessed are the pure in heart. Right, for they shall see God. Good. Um, now, we've been breaking all of these beatitudes down into two parts. Does anybody remember what two parts we've been breaking them down into? Yes. Who's blessed and why? Yes, good. Who's blessed and why are they blessed? Good. So we're going to continue that tonight. So would you stand as I read God's word? I'm going to read uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. This is what God's word says. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. This is God's living and active word. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to understand what your word means? Would you help us to understand what it means to make peace and how you've made peace in Jesus Christ? It's in his name we pray. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. There's a joke that goes something like this. If you could have a billion dollars or world peace, how big would you want your mansion to be, right? The idea being that you can't really have world peace, so what would you do with a billion dollars, right? There's a bunch of jokes like that, but the idea is world peace is something that's inachievable. It's not going to happen, right? And yet at the same time, peace is a word that we hear all the time. Who's probably heard, who's heard the word peace this week sometime? Besides me just reading it, of course, right? Yeah, a lot of you have, right? <clears throat> so heard, heard the word peace. We know that we have a peace sign, right? There's a sign you can draw. There's also the sign you can make with your hands. We saw that earlier when I said the word peace during our game, right? The peace sign. It's something we all know or at least have an idea of what it means. But it's also at the same time, like I said, something that everybody's like, well, this isn't really real. You can't really have this or you can't really have peace. We all want and need peace. And yet we find our lives continually not in peace. We find our lives in sadness and in conflict with our families, with our friends. Sometimes we're conflicted inside ourselves, right? And into this, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And we think, that's great, but what does that mean? So, like we always have been doing, we're going to break it down into two parts. So first, who's blessed? And second, why are they blessed? So, who's blessed? What does it say? The peacemakers. Yes, good. The peacemakers are blessed. So that means we need to know what peace actually means. So what do you guys think? What, what does peace mean? Any ideas? It's a big word. Calmness. Yeah, calmness. Yeah, good. What else? Being in a state of rest. Being in a state of rest. Yeah, good. Other things come to mind. No conflict. No conflict. Yeah. yeah. Good. Anything else you must add? Yeah, those are, those are good things as we think about peace. Sometimes when we think about peace, and, and you guys have kind of given a pretty good picture, but sometimes when we think about peace, we just think about as long as there's not active conflict going on, 
right? As long as people aren't fist fighting in front of us, in some sense, that there's peace, right? Just because there's no punches thrown doesn't mean that you actually have peace, right? Plus, I'm sure all of you know what it feels like. I know what it feels like to not be at peace inside ourselves, to be wrestling through tons and tons of stuff, right? So it's not just that everything appears to be okay. Peace is actually much deeper than that. Actually, the, the idea of peace in the Bible is something much deeper than sometimes we realize. It comes all the way back from the Hebrew word in the Old Testament called shalom, which means completeness. It means fullness. It means wholeness. The idea of peace is that everything is working together as it's supposed to be at every level, right? From the very, very deepest to the very, like, very deepest inside us to the very external things, all these things working together. Think about a play where every actor is doing exactly what they need to do when they need to do it, right? Everybody remembers their lines. Everything works perfectly together. There's, a, there's an amazingness to that. There's an amazingness to watching that, right? There's peace with that. Or maybe you enjoy sports. Think about a, a football team who executes the play perfectly. Everybody blocks who they need to block. The quarterback's able to give a smooth handoff, and the running back runs for a touchdown, right? There's a beauty to that because everything is working as it should, all the different pieces, and that's, that's the idea of what peace means in the Bible. That's kind of a way of getting at it. And if that's what peace is, we can understand why Jesus would say, blessed are the peacemakers, right? Because who wants that kind of peace in their life? Show of hands, who wants that kind of peace in their life? Yeah, probably all of us, if we're honest, right? So it makes sense that if that's what kind of peace we're talking about, then the people who make that peace would be blessed. Uh, Psalm 34 says this, Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. That's what the Bible tells us to do. Now, I hear you quickly saying, that's great, but I can only do so much. Well, the Bible actually does recognize that. It says this in Romans 12. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Right? It doesn't say you have to completely do everything. It says what? As far as it depends on you. But that means that some of this does depend on us to live at peace. In thinking about this idea of peace, I'm reminded of something when I, when I grew up. So I'm one of five siblings. And it, as those of you with siblings know, you can get into fights about the silliest things, the most trivial things, the things that are like, why are we even fighting about this? Yes, I see a lot of nods. So we determined at one point, I don't remember how this happened, but we said, okay, we're going to have a word that one of us, whenever we realize we're having this kind of argument, can say that word and the argument's off, right? And so somebody chose the word to be pickles. So... Why? I don't know, but we did. So, you know, you'd be having this argument about something that was like a nothing burger, and somebody would say, oh, hey, pickles. And you'd be like, oh, okay, like we're really not fighting about anything substantial, right? And there was a goodness to that. There was a goodness to making peace. But at the same time, sometimes we used it when it was actually a meaningful and important argument, and we were trying to avoid it, right? It's like, well, I don't really want to have this argument. I don't want to actually press into this conflict, so I'm just going to say pickles and hope that actually things will go away, right? You see, true peace actually sometimes goes into the difficult conflict, not just avoids it, right? Because we want true wholeness. We don't want a surface level, everything looks okay, but we want actually something more serious than that. So if blessed are the peacemakers, how do we, how do you and I make peace? Well, part of it is we get to the root of our problems. We don't settle for the surface level, right? Conflict with our siblings over trivial things isn't about the things we're arguing about. It's often about ourselves. It's often about us wanting to look good. It's often about us wanting to be right. So one of the things we have to do in order to make peace is actually dig down deep. And that can be hard sometimes. 
It also means making peace, coming towards somebody else at the risk of being rejected. Let's say you're having a trivial argument with somebody, a stupid argument, and you're like, you know what? I need to come in and tell them that this is a stupid argument. I need to kind of, you know, go to make peace. And let's say they say, no, actually, now you've shown weakness, and I'm just going to make fun of you, right? The thing is, sometimes pursuing peace means leaving ourselves vulnerable because we've kind of gone towards the other person, which is a hard thing to do. And if they reject us, it's going to hurt even worse. But sometimes making peace means stepping towards somebody. Also, being a peacemaker is not just making peace with us and other people, but making peace between other people around us, other groups, siblings in your family, right? Uh, Friends in your friend group at school. Think about right now, who do you know that's having conflict, like in your friend group or in your family or or in this group, right? Who's two people having conflict? How can you maybe, Lord willing, step in and help actually bring peace there, meaningful peace? And it also means that if you're going to be a peacemaker, if somebody's going to trust you to make peace, that means that you have to live an honest and upright life. Because if people don't think you're honest and people don't think you're true, they're not going to trust you to make peace, right? Why would they? So it's not just, hey, I want to be a peacemaker, but it actually goes back into all the other beatitudes we've already been talking about, right? Being poor in spirit, mourning, being meek, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, being merciful, pure in heart. Those things are rolled into this too. Now, why, right? Why be a peacemaker? Especially because all those things I just talked about seem really hard. So why, why do that? Why go after that? Well, who is blessed? We said the peacemakers. Why are they blessed? What does it say? For they shall be called sons of God. That's why they're blessed. Now, they shall be called. Like our other two, or the other Beatitudes we've been talking about, there are two things about the for they shall be called, right? One, it's passive. That's what we've been talking about. What do I mean by passive? Anybody remember? Who's, who's doing the calling? Not the peacemakers, right? Who's doing the calling? God. God. Yes, somebody else. So it's God, right? And then they shall be called. Is that present tense? No, what tense is it? Future, right? It's going to happen. God will call them sons of God. Now, we might see the phrase sons of God and think, wait, wait a second, right? Why is it sons? Why is it not sons and daughters? And there's a good reason for this in the Bible because in the time when the New Testament was written, to say a son meant you had this legal dimension with legal rights to inherit all the things from the Father. And so the New Testament is using that language to say, it doesn't matter who you are, if you're a peacemaker, you'll be given full rights and privileges and responsibilities as a son or a daughter of God. Now, we don't use this language anymore because anybody can inherit from their parents. But in that day and age, it was different. So the Bible is actually addressing that context. But that means if we're sons and daughters of God, that means we have full privileges as God's children. And who wouldn't want that? I want you to think about this. Imagine you were adopted by the President of the United States tomorrow, okay? Seems very far-fetched, I I grant you. But imagine you were, okay? What would you now have access to? Money? Not that much, because you can't really tell you that much. Okay, some money, right? Yes, he has more money than all of us, probably. Yeah, money. Uh, Where do you live now? Yeah, you have access to the White House, right? That means you can go in the White House, you can... You know what it's like. You can live there, right? Like, you have access to all of these amazing things. You get to fly in Air Force One, like the the plane. Like, you have all the access to all of these things. Now, because you've been adopted by this person, right? Think about that idea 
in a very bigger and greater sense when we've been adopted by God, right? If the God of the universe says, hey, you're my child, that's amazing. How, how, would, how would it change our lives if we thought about that more? If we thought about ourselves as the, as the children of God, the God who created us and who created the universe. When we understand that we can go in prayer directly to God with our cares and with our worries, with our difficulties, what would it look like not to have to try to figure out who you are with your life, not to try to figure out who you're going to be and who you're going to make yourself to be, be in front of others, but to realize, hey, I am already a child of God, and I've done nothing to, do that, to deserve that, but God has made that happen himself. What would it be like to live in that? Not in the pressure of, I got to figure out who I am. I got to figure out how to make people like me. I got to figure out all of these things. You'd actually uh, leave a lot of your internal unhealth. Like, like we talked about being not at peace internally, right? You'd leave a lot of that behind the more you thought about being a child of God. That would help a lot. What decisions this week would we make differently if we thought more about us being children of God? Not just, I have to figure out what to do for me, but... Hey, actually, I'm a child of God, so what does that mean I do in this situation? Or what does it mean I do in that situation? And yet, it says, to be a son of God, or called son of God, you have to be a peacemaker, right? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And the problem being, we don't often make peace. Can somebody really look at our lives and look at us and say, hey, that, yeah, yeah, you're a peacemaker. That's a really, that's a high bar, right? That's a really high bar. So what do we do? We, feel, we find ourselves so often not making peace, but actually making the opposite. We end up creating the problems that we need peace for. And so we think, okay, well, how can, how can such peace come into our lives? How can we be peacemakers? How can such wholeness and completeness come? But think about this. Years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah said that one was coming called the Prince of Peace. That's a verse that we hear a lot as we get closer to Christmas, right? And that Prince of Peace is Jesus, the very one who spoke these words. He is the very Son of God who's actually come to earth. And he's come in order to make true peace. And he made true peace not by actually going on the surface of things, but actually getting right to the heart of our lives, right to the heart of where there is no peace. And that's in our sin. That's in our disobedience to God. Because every time we disobey God, we're bringing bringing chaos, we're bringing confusion, we're bringing evil into the world every time we do it. And so Jesus didn't want to have this kind of peace that's on the surface of things and looks good but doesn't actually do anything. He wanted to get right to the heart of things. And so he went to the heart of it, which is our sin. And the thing that Jesus did is he made peace with us and with God by taking the very pain that we deserve, taking the very punishment we deserve for all of the peace that we have shattered in this world, and taking all of that pain, all that punishment upon himself. As the Bible says, he's made peace by the very blood of his cross. And this wholeness that he brings about is so complete that we actually see that even though he died, he was physically raised from the dead. That's the kind of power that comes with God. That's the very kind of power that Christ's resurrection is for us. It raises us from the dead. Because Jesus has made peace, we make peace too. That's why he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called sons of God. Because he knows, if you understand, if Jesus knows, if you understand his mission, if you understand why he came, you are going to want to make peace with others in the same way that God has made peace with you. I'm reminded of the storyline of Annie, the, the, the movie or the play, take your pick, right? 
But Annie is an orphan. It doesn't know who her parents are. And so she gets uh, taken into a really nice home for Christmas from a billionaire, Daddy Warbucks. And he decides, you know what? I want to adopt her. And she has access to everything, his mansion, his servants, all the, all the craziness that goes with that lifestyle, right? And then she hears that her true parents might actually be on the way. And it turns out it's, she actually, her, her true parents aren't alive anymore. And it's, kind of, it's a sad story. But at the end, he ends up adopting her. And then he turns around and with her help adopts all the rest of the orphans, right? She experienced this beautiful adoption, this beautiful lifestyle, but she didn't hoard it for herself. She didn't say, well, I want all this stuff. She said, no, I want my friends with me. I want other people to experience this peace, this adoption that I have. And that's the same idea in our lives as Christians as we say, hey, we've been adopted by the God of the universe and now we want other people to experience this too. That's why because Christ has made peace, we then seek to be peacemakers wherever we are. So let us, wherever we are this week, wherever we are this month, in our Christian walk in general, let us make peace. Let us seek peace, as the Bible says, and pursue it. And we can ultimately do that with the hope that Jesus has brought peace. And he will come back. He will come back to bring the completeness and the wholeness that we all long for. And if we're sons of God and daughters of God, we get to live with him eternally in a perfect, peaceful kingdom. What a gift that is. So because Jesus has made peace, let us also make peace too. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have brought peace. Lord, it took the blood of Jesus on the cross for peace. But Lord, you paid that. He paid that for us. Lord, would you help us to see that we are your children, that we can come to you with anything, with our with all the, the burdens that we have, Lord, that we can pray to you. Thank you for that gift. Lord, would you help us to make peace in our lives, make peace with others, make peace with our family members and our siblings, Lord. Lord, would you help us to be agents of peace in this world? Thank you for the gift of your spirit, which you've given to us, that is even now working in our hearts. Lord, would you bless now our time in small groups, and, and thank you for your mercy that is new every day. In Jesus' name, amen.